everybody. We are Gacy DC. And you're listening to Sticky Jazz. The opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Jeremy Hinks and Sticky Jazz Podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else on this planet. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm Jeremy Hinks, the man of a million musical opinions, all of which happen to be correct. And this week, I have Simon Spence from the band uh, Fabulous, who were, well, they were one of the more experimental prank rock bands uh basically a bunch of insiders of the music industry who were journalists decided to make a band to uh just tear apart the the music industry itself and the stories that this guy has to offer are amazing they uh cover everybody that uh well, you just gotta listen to it uh the album is finally being released it is called get fucked by fabulous that was recorded 30 years ago. So uh, let's all sit back and do the sticky jazz. Everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm Jeremy Hinks, and uh, this week I have Simon Spence from the the uh, the self destruct mechanism known as uh, Fabulous, and uh, 
got the craziest stories I've heard about bands. I, I think these guys have it. So, uh, Simon, thank you so much for joining us, man. No, you're, you're welcome. Uh, you know, we, we never really called ourselves a, a, we called ourselves a prank rock band. That was how, how we like to uh, think of ourselves. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we were all journalists for the enemy. Well, while I was writing for the enemy, the face and ID, which were really the three leading sort of youth titles of that day. So I was sort of a young, I don't know what you'd call it, a young gunslinger. And, um, and Martin was a photographer from the enemy and Russell was a photographer from the enemy. And uh, James, our manager, was high up at the enemy, was like assistant editor. So the original idea was that we would have this sort of, we would get this band together and be like totally outrageous and um, somehow con somebody into giving us a million pounds. I mean, that was the, so our first gigs were all, we would always play in sort of very hip West End Soho clubs and we'd play for like 10 minutes or 15 minutes and it would be a house night. So we would be, a, you know, a trashy kind of, punk rock sort of thing and uh generally the act was just breaking everything and making a right racket and um that was the idea that was the idea originally to uh to to try that yeah so prank rock and well, so did, did 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 you make it to the million pounds i i saw some of the numbers of what you guys pulled us like well, geez that that all sounded crazy too, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, not quite well, a million pounds, not quite a million, but <laughs> it was um, it was unfortunate. Well, that... wait, wait, pause button. You realize you're giving away a lot of the industry secrets, or at least the way the industry used to be back well, when. Well, they used to they they were chasing after us nonstop. You know, we could <laughs> we, you know the phone would not stop ringing literally, and they would just say fuck that. You know, go away. We don't want to speak to you now. Thinking it would, you know, that would only get them more interested. And uh, yeah, it did seem to work that way. And you know, obviously, with all our contacts across various magazines, we were, you know, we were like the hot for for five minutes. We were the hot band. You know, we were widely reviewed. Uh, you know, they would say we were like Iggy Pop or the Sex Pistols uh Mick Jagger you know it was all this you know it was just like a a deluge of press uh, and TV people had us on TV and we didn't have a record deal or anything and uh, yeah yeah the, and the money but you could was, actually play though I've listened to the music you guys could right. actually play right okay yeah well, this first single was single of the week in the enemy. What that was? Uh, there's a riot going on, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, and even today, uh, Heavenly Records, which uh, is actually still going, and uh, oh gosh, for twenty years now, or one longer, but uh, Heavenly Records, which had the Manic Street Preachers and lots of lots of new bands nowadays that I don't know the names of, and uh, but yeah, they they sometimes have. Uh, there's a riot going on as like one of their top 10 ever tunes that they released, you know? So I guess, you know, with the music, it's difficult to, to judge yourself, you know, to, 
the, for the first time ever when Jeff put the CD together, Super Megabot, uh, when Jeff put the CD, which we're talking about together, it's actually the first time I've ever listened to Fabulous without kind of cringing, you know, and and I thought it was all pretty, you know, it was, like you, I was quite surprised, you know, and I thought. Well, yeah, you're sounding like, OK, now you sound like Tom York. OK. Oh, really? Right. Well, so, all right. Well, I, I've met Tom York. Long story. Um, I, I was at a dinner party and and just started talking to them and had no idea that it was Radiohead. And then they said, well, so what do you think of Radiohead? So, well, the new album's that, eh, man, it's really overproduced. It's a bit overproduced. I just kind of threw my critique of it in there. Right. Right. And then they said, well, thanks for being honest. I'm Tom York. I'm like, well, shit. Right. You know, like. <laughs> Like, I mean, and like, I, I'm just that guy, right? And I was unimpressed. But Tom York is funny because he doesn't like his fans. He's like, he know. thinks the people who like my music are got to be complete shitheads. You know, that's how Tom York views it, right? Um, he hates Radiohead fans. He doesn't like Radiohead music. And he cringes uh, like, God, that was such such crap that we made. But no, I, I, buy, I, like, you know? I like our fans. I mean, I can name all our fans because we did we had so few it was uh, you had six right six fans right, maybe about seven six or seven yeah, yeah. i think it was uh, but we had uh, the fans that we had were all very good they were uh, keanu reeves was was a big fan yeah, <laughs> i'll we get to with, that we, i know i'll get to that yeah, yeah. And keanu played with us and uh, rick rubin was a big fan uh wanted to produce us uh kim fowley wanted to produce us as well in america uh the girls from Shampoo, who I'm not sure if they're big in America, but they had a re recently had a Gucci advert. Well, OK, but Kim Fowley, he did Runaways. Um, yeah, I know. I'm not, yeah. He, I'm not he sure was... what else Kim did. Oh, I do. He, he did. He did music with my pal, Andrew Lou Golder in the in, in the 60s. He could put a product together. And yeah, do really yeah. well, but uh, yeah, Cherie Curie, he actually died at her house when when yeah, when he finally he was, passed from want, cancer. I didn't want to anything to do with Kim Fowler. Well, he when he finally um, succumbed to liver cancer, you know, he he stayed at her house for the last two years of his life. So right. yeah, like she she took him in, you know, because he he made the runaways happen and all that. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. she took him in and kind of made him, you know. I mean, they they got whatever resolved there. She talked about it, and it was oh, it was it was a beautiful story. But yeah, in, in the industry, he had a bad name for a lot of people. But I know other people that they they said he actually was very good. He did everything Malcolm McLaren couldn't do. You know, was was what people. <laughs> well, Malcolm did. McLaren was another fan of of Fabulous. Now you now you now you mention Malcolm. He was a he was a big fan of Fabulous. He he posed. He was actually sort of semi-managed fabulous. And he recommended don't get produced by Kim Fowley. Don't get produced by Rick Rubin. Get produced by uh, Peter Waterman, who is probably not very well known in America. But, it, you know, in England, he was famous for like uh, kind of candy floss pop. Uh, Kylie Minogue was his big. So 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 Malcolm McLaren. So, so Malcolm probably the sixth fabulous fan <laughs> but yeah. i mean i didn't i don't dislike our music jeremy but 
you know the first maybe it was prank rock you guys were like rock, you, yeah. right as as but for the first for the first maybe 10 maybe even less the first sort of five gigs i do think we were great you know we were on fire you know and things were getting broken and it was very exciting like uh, the original jesus and mary chain right remember their, yeah it was exciting. Their, their shows if they made it to 35 minutes it was like you know yeah yeah we never made that we never got beyond 15 uh but but Andy and Andy Weatherall, who was another who produced Screamadelica, the Primal Scream album, he wanted to produce us as well. But I don't know for some reason we decided we wanted Pete Waterman to make our music, and uh, we were prepared to have. I think it was like Zig Zig Sputnik. We had that sort of thing. He would make this music that was much more commercial than we were capable of making, really. Well, I think Zig Zig Sputnik was the most commercial of any music. Yeah, I mean, but that was the point. That was the where, where yeah, yeah. Go. You spin me right round, baby. Uh, yeah, like a record. He was he produced that Peter. So, so writing sessions with Peter Waterman were kind of interesting. You know, were interesting. Uh, so you mentioned the fa- like Keenan Dufty. Do you know who he is? Um. Keenan Dufty, the fashion designer, he also he's he's mates with Glenn Matlock and Earl Slick and everybody. And he actually was talking about the face. He said that was a big magazine at the time Um, when he was doing fashion in the 80s and into the 90s there in in there in the Soho area. Right. He said the, the, the face was one of the big magazines like the fashion and the music stuff was always doing that delicate dance. And I actually did a I did a big piece with him about that. And so now that you mention that, like you're mentioning a lot of the same people that he and I have both covered. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's the, interesting. The face, the face magazine was, uh, you know, as a kid I was the I was a teenager, but and I was the only guy who would could go from the enemy to the face to ID magazine. It was I mean, it was a quite a small scene back then in the in the early nineties, but nobody else was writing across those three magazines. So at the enemy, they thought I was trendy because I was going to the face. And I think at the, <laughs> and, and at you the, were just, and you're just flying by the seat of your pants. It's like that's correct. your whole life. Yeah, correct. And then at the, at the face they because I worked for the enemy, they thought I must knew, know something about music kind of thing. It was, uh, it was exciting times. And, you know, we had, uh, we had a good run at it. You know, we had a, we had a good run, but, you know, like you mentioned at the top there, it was difficult being the front person and, you know, spouting off and being outrageous and saying ridiculous things and, and sort of burning every bridge, basically. Uh, you know, it was quite tricky then to get back into the journalism, you know, into the writing. But Well, uh, but you were inspired. I'm sure that you had met enough people over the years as a journalist that that inspired your your behavior in the band is to do what you guys did, right? I mean, you're like, what completely shitty thing did this band do and this band do and this band do? Right. Let's do it all and and, and just make fun. And it worked. I mean, like the 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 like, OK, I went and I watched your video for uh get off my cloud right oh god right yeah and the story right underneath it flat out says what happened you guys were given seventeen thousand quid to make that video and you paid the producer 500 
quid and then you ran off with the rest and blew it on 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 drugs and women and shit and i'm like going like and it's i'm like it almost sounds like they did that to make the to make the point was that rock and roll is excessive and we're having a good laugh at it because like i remember you two when they did zoo tv at the same time that you were doing that right you two was like look rock and roll is excessive it's a joke this is a big circus and it's all just a bunch of egos wanting to find ways to blow other people's money. That was how you, that was what you two said that the rock and roll was with the zoo TV. Right. And you guys were the, that was the example of it. You're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do exactly that. Yeah. But we, we, because we were all insiders. That's was, the kicker though. You were the insiders. It was, done you got very the much, it was done very much tongue in cheek, but. You know what happened, Jeremy, and it's very, um, you know, so the joke kind of backfired because people took you seriously. But what happened was, I think we began to take ourselves seriously, you know, so we'd get these huge write ups in the face or the enemy or single of the week or these TV shows or radio, you know, and they were saying, oh, these are the new sex pistols. They're a cross between the Rolling Stones and Iggy Pop and the sex. And slowly, I think we began to believe that. So we began, so we began to take ourselves seriously, and um, and the joke sort of became, you know, we became sort of the joke, really. I think, you know, because but, we never, we never really were thinking how are we going, how are we going to progress as songwriters or anything like that, because we just said like Peter Waterman, just make all the music, please. And um, well, okay. Well, so, <laughs> go on. What were we saying there? Yeah, and then it was a series of back, you know, of of own goals, you know. So we upset Peter Waterman. He had us on his TV show, and we really upset Peter Waterman. And then we went to America, where there was a million dollars on offer, and uh, you know, which was kind of the last chance saloon, really, for for fabulous because we'd we'd burned so many bridges in the uk and uh and then we we really ballsed up the american thing me and james and um that was really the end of it you know that i think you know it was uh but like and, i said and now the like, album's getting released 30 years later yeah thanks to jeff you know because um you know we've not i mean we've all moved on you know I, i've i've written now I don't know, eight or nine books, you know, and ironically, the Get Off My Cloud was with Andrew Lou Goldham, who was sort of relaunching his 60s record label. And I'd actually gone out to Bogota, Colombia to work with and well, to interview Andrew. And that became a book or well, two books, two, two, two books with Andrew. And, uh, you know, and then that led to other books. You've seen the Stone Roses on the bookshelf there. And uh, just recently, just this month, uh, I've done a memoir with Peter Doherty of the Libertines. Yeah. So, is, is that yeah. that one that, that there's like all the stacked black right yeah, here? Yeah, that, that the that's, one? That, yeah, yeah that, that's done really well. You know, well, send in, me a in, copy. I want one. In the UK. All right. OK. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I have a pile right here of. I've I've got probably nine books right here that I have to 
reads to to talk to the authors you're the subjects uh, yeah. of so yeah i i i, I mean i'm a music journalist too i have piles of this shit you know yeah. so i love reading these things yeah yeah so we we kind of all moved on and um like say 30 years later i mean jeff proposed that we sort of and martin you know there's things on this album that i can't i can't really re remember recording and i think Mar martin might have had some of the some of the recordings and uh yeah it sounds okay it sounds pretty well good. well you know. so okay let me let me talk about that for a minute okay <laughs> i i i had a great time listening to the record thank you right because well it was it reminded me of the first time i ever listened to punk in in <laughs> in 1986 when we were sitting in my brother's Camaro driving around listening to Generation X. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had seen Sex Pistols t-shirts and seen what they looked like in the Sex Pistols were the look, you know, but, right. but listening to my brother, he called himself an idol worshiper, big Billy Idol fan. All right. Okay. And I remember we're in the car and I'm listening to Generation X, youth, 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 youth you know, and, and kiss me deadly, you know, just wonderful. Right. And so much of this record reminded me of, of that as a kid, the first time I heard punk like that, where it wasn't just, it was, it was, we're trying to be like the Generation X had a different approach to what they were going to sound like. The Clash, all of that, right? Very different than the Sex Pistols that I loved. And that was what I got out of, of, of your music. It reminded me yeah. of that. But I'm listening to, like, Personality Recession. And I was laughing because it was like the Sex Pistols and the Toy Dolls, right? You know, love the Toy Dolls. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, the psychedelic guitar work in there that was almost uh, like it was from an Icicle Works record. The I, the psychedelic guitar, totally out of place, which made it awesome. I, I was like, this is really cool stuff. And the album never got released, right? So I'm listening to the record just going, this whole thing is an absolute gem. I just don't know where people are going to place it. I hope it just, I hope everyone just, really goes in and listens to it you know it, it it was so much fun to listen to i really had a great time listening to that record we we uh when we when we came to america to get signed we we went around the record labels and uh sony we had meetings with sony and and rick rubin but uh really it was warner brothers uh, mo austin and I, I remember james telling mo and i think maybe seymour stein but more mo austin uh forget the band <laughs> uh, simon's going to be the new billy idol that was that that was literally what you said james and it was like oh we'd not really discussed that before this meeting <laughs> but uh i don't know we i mean originally when we started we were we were kind of like we'd just in england we'd just come out of the sort of stone roses Happy right, which you, you were were you taking lessons from them as far as being the obnoxious excess? I mean, the Stone Roses, <laughs> Happy Mondays, Sean Ryder with his heroin. I mean, all of that, right? Like a little, a little bit, but it was. Uh, but then when we, so we were kind of 
toying with maybe being in that, you know, jumping on the bandwagon with that. But then when we got in the rehearsal room, that sort of thing when you I'd not been in a band before. So it was just like those first punk, you know, very innocent, you know, exhilarating playing punk rock. You know, that was really, you know, and I think, you know, that enthusiasm of like you hear in the generate in Generation X, that was a a similar enthusiasm that we had, you know, uh, a sort of stupid, you know, and, you know, daft enthusiasm. Uh, you know, but okay. the other ch- the other chaps in the band were all slightly older than me, so they did have some musical knowledge. Um, so maybe that's why the music sort of holds up a little bit, you know, I think. Oh, no, the music was actually, it was a very raw, happy, you know. Well, we, were very, we were really happy, you know. I mean, we were, we couldn't believe, we'd, we'd been, we'd spent maybe a year, two years with, bands interviewing them and photographing them and being on tour or being at their gigs or and it was always really boring you know it was it was often time very boring in that period so we thought you know we would just like well there you were taking lessons from the rock stars yeah you know i but but you know it was more you know the enemy it was more like indie music so it was quite uh yeah, Kylie Minogue, uh, getting yeah, Kylie Minogue, not indie at all, right? I mean, no, no, that's 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 when we stepped into right. So, so, so there, you've got Kylie Minogue, or at least it was rumored that Kylie Minogue was going to produce your record, right? Is it? So yeah, that's that's right. That's correct. Yes, <laughs> sounds ridiculous now, but you know, because like I said, Rick Rubin, we had who was obviously credible in America. Andy Weatherall we had in the UK, but we decided, oh, it would be better to have Kylie Minogue uh, to produce the record. <laughs> so I don't know where our heads were at, really, at that particular part, you know, at that time, you know. That's why I think we weren't really a proper band, you know. We were, uh, I mean, they said we were a little bit like KLF with guitars, you know, so maybe that was... Well, I, I it was it was a good feeling, dirty punk sound like the yeah. toy dolls, less of a less of the novelty sound, right? Because I mean, I, I you know the toy dolls, right? I um, do know the toy, yeah, yeah. I love the toy dolls, and, and right. toy dolls have always been written off as kind of a novelty act, although they are one of the more phenomenal acts ever. Punk guitarist, I mean, Steve Algar is one of the best guitarists ever lived, but. Um, you guys were kind of like that, but we're still trying to sound a little more serious than the toy dolls. Oh, yeah, we, we we thought we were like, uh, yeah, like the, the toy dolls, but no, we, we thought we were like um, the White Panthers. That was like, you know, so one time we were in Manchester and we were supporting another, the seventh fan of Fabulous was, uh, was, um, well, I'm the eighth until this album gets okay, released. I'm okay, the well, we'll get we'll double figures soon. Uh, Ian, Ian, Ian from the cult, Ian Astbury. Ian Astbury, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a big fan of Fabulous. He had us, he had, he had us on a. I think that might have been the biggest gig we did. Uh, but yeah, another, with the an, cult? yeah, with this cult at Finsbury Park. So it was wow. a big, yeah, a big gig. That, uh, 
But yeah, I, I feel like I feel like I'm sitting on the precipice of something magnificent because I'm interviewing you. You right before the album get that was done 30 years ago is finally getting released, right? And I'm I'm talking to you like, whoa, because there's so much of mythology around this. This is Viking lore type stuff here. Yeah, well, about that, this record. I'm, I'm careful, but I'm not. But I'm I enjoyed careful, the record but... that much. It was that good. Yeah, well, I, I'm trying not to burst the bubble, but so we were in, so we were supporting The Fall, who was maybe the ninth. Marquee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we was in Manchester and we thought we were the White Panthers. And then I remember some guy shouting out from the crowd, uh, Sham 69. Like we, we've heard it all before, Sham 69, you right. sound like. And I was horrified uh, at that particular time, but now, I think, oh, you know, I, I really like Sham 69, you know, now. Uh -huh. So, but at that time, at that particular time, I, we, 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 I think we'd begun to take ourselves quite seriously. And, uh, you know, maybe we should have, maybe like more like the toy dolls or, you know, maybe the music should have had more of a, I think it did have a sense of humor, the music, but maybe we began to take ourselves, I don't know, too seriously, maybe. I don't know. Well, like your um, your your song "Bust Up," okay. All right. <laughs> okay, I mean, I again love the record. I I all right. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been listening to a lot of really just dark, heavy, serious, contemplative stuff for for the last little while. Right. Okay. And so to turn on this was just fun. And Bust it up, was yeah. But but the whole record, I mean, when okay, well, first of all, I, I call your publicist my drug dealer, okay, right. <laughs> and because he's always like, "Hey man, I got something good here. I, I'm going to be covering these guys in a couple of months. What do you think?" And it's always something fabulous, right? It's always something really good. But then this, he's like, um, he just sent me the article. Didn't say, by the way, do you want to talk to him? But he's like, he sent it to me. I was like, oh man. Loved it, right? Because I I call it my Ray list, which is ever expanding. Um, and I got it, I was like, damn, that is really good. But then he's like, Well, do you want to talk to him? I'm like, Well, hell yeah, why I didn't know that he was making you available to me, right? But it was always this the last several months have been really dark, contemplative, cerebral stuff. And putting this on, I was like, Oh, fun in the shit show that the world is in right now. It's nice to just have something so just tongue in cheek. Let's all smile. It's okay to just laugh for the moment. Right. That's right. what. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, though. That's um, bus stop. Yeah. I do remember thinking. I, I, I... Well, do, do you remember the words to the song here? Let, let me let me recite some to you. How far will you go? Don't ask me because I don't know. The bus stop from the front room, a queen sleep, a, a clean sweep with a new broom. Yeah. How much do you owe? Don't ask us because we just don't know. Right. Yeah. And I remember a clean yeah, sweep, yeah. a clean sweep with a new broom was some was something people would actually laugh at at the time. And um, and then when Jeff was putting this album together and I listened to that one. I actually thought, oh, that's quite funny. You know, that's pretty good, really, because it's that it's, it's like you say, it's kind of like lighthearted and daft. And 
You know, I did the book with Peter Doherty, Peter Doherty from the Libertines. The bass player in Fabulous, Ronnie, who's dead now, he, um, he worked with Peter quite a lot. And so that was one of the connections I had with Peter. And uh, Ronnie's sort of party piece was playing Bus Stop. You know, it, so, uh, yeah, Bus Stop. Uh, well, who wrote the lyrics? Or was that just, you're all just Yeah, that would have, I, I think I would have, I think I had to hold my hand up and say, I wrote all the lyrics. I think, you know, from the Bus Stop to the front room, a clean, a clean sweep, sweep with, with a new with, room. With yeah. New, yeah. So you, you're singing this. I'm like, okay, so what is he singing about other than this is fun? You, you were just like, just this real carefree, I'm not being very serious punk sounds, just having a good time. Yeah, yeah. This was what was, you know, feel good about punk that we had missed for so many years, you know. I mean, I'm yeah. not ripping on, like, early Green Day or Dead Kennedys or anything, right? I mean, that was, like, those are the spectrum, the Ramones, whatever. But you, you had that this sort of the Ramones feel in there of, yeah, we're, we're just enjoying this and singing yeah. about things to feel good about in a really shit world, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think Ma Martin was a big fan of the Ramones, and um, I don't know, it's difficult, you know, to sort of talk about that music, uh, you know, because I think some of the songs we did think were like kind of call to arms, uh, pour petrol in her face, which was... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, pour petrol in her face, right? That which was wasn't about pouring petrol in a girl's face, it was the country was her. So it was, it was about set, it was about rioting and setting fire to the country. But uh, yeah, yeah, know. that part I got. Poor petrol okay. on her face set fire to her, you know, set, set fire, fire to, to the, the bloody disgrace. Your nation yeah. is a disgrace. Yeah, I got yeah. that part. That was right. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like burn it all down. This all fucking sex. You're all a bunch of assholes. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, I you see. And that was like, I get it. I get it. I totally right. like. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I guess we were oddities at that particular. I mean, the only band that we kind of were lumped together with was the Manic Street Preachers. And we, we had quite strong links with the Manic Street Preachers. But. Um, oh, you and you sang a song called Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, you exactly. know that that's on the record, too. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first song we did, which was it was because the Manic Street Preachers managers paid for our paid for that first recording session and i and i actually used to work for the manic street preachers managers see i who, love i love manics i love those guys you know uh, I, I i first heard them back in 93 with la tristesse de uera right right okay yeah yeah great they also did a very gnarly cover of uh, suicide is painless that yeah um, yeah and uh, I, I did, I did very much like the Manic Street Preachers. I don't know how they did. I mean, I know they were probably huge over in the UK. They were marginally successful here in, in the right. yeah, yeah. It was like early, early doors, early days, '91. They were uh, sort of laughing stock, you know, because we were. It was sort of rave, acid house sort of music scene, and uh, obviously they came out. With that, those sort of white outfits, tight, you know, and all the stenciled, sprayed, 
but I, I liked them and I wrote about them and uh, you know I think they probably got as excited to do to do that sort of music you know I think that was uh, but yeah Manic Street Preachers uh, was was another sort of like we you know we don't give an F-U-C-K about what you say we don't pray to any god or we don't want to be your dog and um uh, another daft song really i think you know it was sort of cra- you know but uh yeah i'm glad you i'm glad you enjoyed listening to it jeremy it's, it's nice to hear that well you know, okay like okay like you know, personality recession like i said it had the icicle yeah. work psychedelic guitar work in there i mean you could have pulled that straight out of ian McNabb. there it was wonderful you know Ah, but then there was the line, the line, time for a charisma lesson. Like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time for a charisma. Well, we had a thing. Uh, I mean, because I was writing for a lot of, because I was writing and I was young, but I actually was sort of, like you said, flying by the seat of my pants a lot. So some of my, uh, some of my more like, not idols, but some of the guys I liked were were not musicians. They were like darts players or snooker players, which I guess would be pool players, but darts yeah, snooker, or snooker yeah. or even cricketers, you know, but the more outrageous end of it. So like you'd have John Daly, you know, there's a golfer. So those sort of characters were more I, I don't know that golfers are out of control people that live crazy ass rock and roll lifestyle, but well, John, John Daly might might be. No, nah, uh, don't I don't know anything about. I never heard. Well, I'm, I'm I'm sort of like clutching for American equivalents of like Jimmy White was a snooker player who was uh, quite a wild snooker. You know, he's snooker is not a very wild pursuit. It's right? not. No, I I've I've played <laughs> snooker quite a bit. Yes, but but Jimmy White was quite a wild character, and uh, you know, and then subsequent to Fabulous, James, our manager, launched a magazine uh, which was called Loaded, and it was was sort of it heralded this whole thing in England called Lad Lad Culture. It was a big thing in England, and uh, and that was all kind of taken from Fabulous and you know, darts and snooker and things outside of music that were, uh, so. See, I, I, I learned about snooker, right? <laughs> like, okay, let, let me just back up. I was, I was living in Paris and, oh, uh, right. yeah, I'm, I, I spent, I spent most of the nineties in Europe, by the way. All right. Okay. They're L- living in France, Holland, and Germany. And, um, so, but I had a, I had a, a Dutch girlfriend who well actually we went to school here in the states she just happened to be living in she's dutch lived in holland but when she was in in london uh, i went and visited her from paris and she's like like show me snooker i'm like this is the weirdest game in the world right (laughs) Right. but then again it was like cricket as well like okay it's it's not a high speed sport okay <laughs> so and uh, so that was kind of where i got so i was like okay i could i could imagine snooker being people who are too lazy to play cricket right that was that was kind of how i i and so but she's like oh it's this brilliant game you're going to love it and i'm like okay and and it was fine i wouldn't say it was the greatest 
Yeah, well, to, to be really good at snooker, it was a misspent youth. It was uh, to go to snooker halls, not to go to school, to sort of stop going to school at 13. And, and I'm like, oh, and there's really not that much to it. But hey, if, if that became your life's obsession, you know, we all got to have something, right? So, um, yeah, so charisma, <laughs> yeah, so charisma lesson. I think personality recession is... Uh, it's not bad. It's quite a good one. It's a great know. song. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a good one there. But that line, time for a charisma lesson, brilliant line. Like that one really stood out just because well, what's it sitting in? What's, what's the crazy music itself? And obviously you're you're making, well, you're not making fun. You're making reference to, yeah, the, the snooker culture and the, you know, I it was I just... Try, trying to bring a bit of pizzazz into that sort of indie rock uh, scene, you know. Yeah. You know, I think that was really it. And, uh, you know, not taking, you know, we did sort of begin to take ourselves seriously, but sort of not really being so self-important, you know. And, uh, you know, and I think sort of like, uh, you know, the New York Dolls, I guess, was a, was a, was a look for fabulous you know we would we would like try and hey the 10th fans of fabulous were the beastie boys all right you know, so, so i you, i so am i in succession or devotion to your music number eight that's what i want to know uh, you could you could see you could have number eight then, okay number thank eight, you yeah. okay so i might not so have been the, in succession but okay at least in, <laughs> in devotion so the, of number eight yeah. okay so the beastie boys had to support them they did one London show. I think uh, yeah, like, you opened for the Beastie Boys. Yeah, Let's yeah. Talk so the about Beastie that. Boys yeah, asked yeah. us to support them, and uh, so we were thinking we we're like the New York Dolls. But our bass player, he uh, Ronnie, he turned up and he was wearing a, a shower cap and uh, a bathrobe, and he, which I guess maybe would be a toy doll sort of thing. But you know, we thought we were like really. Sort of like New York doll, street tough white panthers, <laughs> and, and he uh, sees in a shower cap and oh a bathrobe. My God. And, and uh, he got he, he James sacked him after that gig. But oh wow, yeah, yeah. But that was the Beastie Boys were, were one of the reasons we messed up in America because James was pals with I can't remember which one of the Beastie Boys, but we were up at his place. I don't know recording maybe, but more messing around and they were giving us pills i think and we we just turned up for this big meeting really late and really sort of uh you know not very not very together and it was a real mess the whole thing is, that, is, that was is that the one hang on let me let me go back and look here as was written it said uh uh you had no tape in hand. We a lot of dirty clothes. Ordered ten bottles of wine. The bill came up to four grand, and you didn't get. Was that the one Seymour Stein over there with Warner? Yeah, yeah, Mo Austin. Okay. Well, yeah, the okay. first mistake. The first mistake was we didn't realize that uh, the U.S. I mean, this is going way back. So the U.S. had a videotape, right? We yeah. didn't realize the videotape system in America was different to the vhs video. nts yeah NTC oh my god Powell, so yeah. we came in with our videotape which was like the highlights of bits of live bits of tv 
and, it and wouldn't they couldn't watch fit it. In the, oh, we wouldn't fit in the machine. Oh, like, God, really yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> That's when James said, "Forget about the music. He's going to be the next Billy Idol." Oh, wow. oh my God! And then we we tried to get it converted. I, I can't remember, you know. And then there was parties, and we went to San Francisco, and uh, you know, drove. Somebody had a BMW. It was like. We had a good time. We always had a pretty good time, but, you know, we would be in meetings and people would offer us money and I would think, great. I, you know, the guy now is sort of head of Universal and, and he was like in the UK or maybe even worldwide and it was like, great. And then somehow we would never get that money. And I wouldn't, I, it was basically James wasn't really a manager. You know, he, he, was, uh, he was as off the rails as probably more so than we were. So, you know, it was not, it was not. So you, so you guys actually could have made it huge if you had, uh, if you had actual management, if you actually had somebody who. No, but everybody says that, right. But in our case, James was uh, having a lot of personal problems and uh, yeah, I do recall at least twice the guy saying you can have so much money and uh but partly it was our own fault you know i can't blame james it was part it was you know it was a lot to do with our own fault you know uh so uh but maybe maybe it's for the best i think it was probably for the best you know because uh we don't it had already started to get the very limited level of success we'd had had already started to go to our heads so oh yeah it sounds like it was going to take you guys over man Oh, we would have been, it would have, I mean, even, even at that level, you know, Martin, sometimes we'd travel around in a London taxi that Martin had. And uh, one night, Martin, after Ronnie the, with the shower cap had to be sacked, we had this other bass player who was on uh, antipsychotic drugs and Martin took a load of them and he smashed every window of the London taxi. We were traveling, it was winter. He smashed every window with a crowbar. It was his car. He got arrested. But we we had to, you know, he was naked, Martin, Martin remembers. And um, but then we had to drive, you know, to Newcastle, which is way up north. In yeah, the snow. yeah, that's Geordie Land up there. Yeah, man. Geordie yeah. Land, but with no windows in the in the taxi. Oh my God, wrapped in sleeping. So it was like it was a good laugh. And we did have a right good laugh, but uh, well, it's funny to laugh at now. But at the time, you're driving up to well, first of all, Newcastle. First of all, Newcastle. But second, you're driving there with you know wrapped up in sleeping bags because you've no windows in the car. That's even. Yeah, my favorite. You know, there was somebody. One of the favorite reviews was. Uh, I mean, I can't remember it, but it was like they turned up. They were with transvestites. We did. We you we did have a couple of transvestites uh, supporting us at one point. And uh, so they turned up with these transvestites. They were all in high heels. They were all smoking crack and heroin. Um, then they made their, then they, then they, we gave them food. They threw the food all over the wall. Then they wouldn't go on stage until they'd got more crack and heroin. All their t-shirts had these, you know, huge erect cocks on them. 
Then they went on stage and they smashed everything up and the, the sound was awful. People threw bottles at them and it was like absolutely terrible. And then they just got in their crappy van cheering as if they'd won the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and that, that, that was quite a few gigs, you know, just uh, rolling in there and being so obnoxious and uh, going down badly. And then, uh, but just thinking it was excellent. Uh, you know, we were the best things in sliced bread, you know. So, uh, so yeah, it was. So, uh, yeah, so any promoters who are looking to put on, you know, for the reunion, the 30th anniversary reunion gigs. Uh, no, we're, 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 we're all clean. We're all, uh, you know, God-fearing boys now. So. Uh, oh, so what, what are, okay, so. Uh, all right. I, I, I've met a couple of the guys in the Beastie Boys on and off. I actually know right. a guy who played drums for them for several years. And he's, he's an old school jazz musician, lives in Sweden right. and all that. You know, now he's like married, but he, he was, he used to play jazz in the seventies and all that. The Beastie Boys brought him on. He's great. But I remember my experience with the dude in the Beastie Boys. I can't remember which one it was. He had a condo here in Salt Lake where I live. He right. was snowboarding all the time. And I remember okay. sitting with him in a coffee shop once and he had just this huge thing of strawberries and he's just eating strawberries while we're talking. And he must've ate like probably like two pounds, three pounds of strawberries. Right. And he just kept eating them. And I'm like, Oh, quit smoking. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's eating strawberries, and that was like filling. Instead of smoking cigarettes, he would eat strawberries. It was weird, right? But uh, I mean, if we'd uh, if we would have had our wits about us, I think we would have probably tried to get the Beastie Boys to help us make music. You know, that would well, have made more. That would have made sense, right? But instead, you just went and fucked off in their studio. Um. Yeah, yeah. Instead, we were just dicking around in the swimming pool, I think it was, in L.A. And didn't 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 even cross my mind to think, oh, wouldn't it be good if we could get the Beastie Boys to help us produce? Well, because the they obviously liked you. They were they were fans. James was good friends with them. They wanted James to do their magazine. And uh, I can't remember what their label was called at the time. Grand Central. It wasn't Grand but yeah, they were, they like James, you know, so James was, and they obviously liked the band a bit. So, um, but we just never crossed our mind to do that. And Martin, uh, the prodigy, who I'm not sure about in America, but quite. I big, was going to bring that up, actually. But, yeah, and, Mar uh, yeah. And, the, and the prodigy wanted Martin. They were saying, oh, we think we're thinking of getting a guitarist. And they wanted Martin, you know, to, to do the guitar. And I don't know why Martin said, you know, I don't know if it was in that period where we were just telling everyone to go to hell or, you know, to, to F off. But Martin, he missed out there, Martin, yeah. Well, I, I was like going, okay, so all the stories I hear that you guys have written about, or at least have written about you, that I think are insane. I'd say that's up to prodigy level where I heard that one time they actually strapped Keith to the top of the van. And drove like 200 miles and he was totally fine at the end of the trip. You know, like right. I heard that story about Keith somewhere. I'm like, I would believe that, you know, but that's the kind of shit that 
was like reading your stuff you're, you're attributed to like that level of the sean Ryder keith flint insanity in some of these stories i'm just it's so funny i'm like that it could only be true because you couldn't make this up you know and i i mean that just the the i'm sure you guys were obviously it was fun but yeah when you took yourself seriously right um when you did that song uh well let's see so that song the faces right referencing the magazine was it where but then you're also referencing the other bands right like the song the faces public image was the limit uh, uh, you got a thing for that? I mean, them and Manic Street Preachers. I'm like, you know, you're, you're kind of hitting the spectrum and, and finding ways to write about other bands in your songs. But that, that was an interesting. Talk about that one for a second. Yeah, yeah. T- take your places. We're with the face. We'll take your places. We're with the faces. And uh, I think that was an ode to the faces, Rod Stewart and the faces. And um, Oh, I thought you were referencing the magazine. There. No, that was that was oh, okay. in the faces, and it was saying, you know, we don't like. It was the opposite, actually, of what we did think. You know, we don't like the fall, and uh, you know, we well, because like, you like, said the, the the public image was the limit. I'm like, all right, oh, yeah, so reference right, public yeah, yeah. image, yeah, and uh, you know, so it was about the faces, but i didn't I, I you know i can't actually stand rod stewart in the faces to be honest and uh but i remember james got auditioned to help to ghostwrite rod stewart's book and uh i don't think it helped him that he 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 gave rod stewart those lyrics or he recited those lyrics to rod stewart and said look we used to have a band and this was our you know, our tribute to the faces and um, yeah, James didn't get that job. Uh, and that was, that was a tribute to the faces. Yeah. But that was an early one. I think that, you know, things like that, we would quickly get sort of embarrassed by and not play it again. Well, I mean, cause it's on the records, to, you know, it's on the, yeah, yeah. yeah. The faces, that was an early demo for EMI. And um you know, our, our greatest contribution to EMI was, uh, you know, Ronnie, who I've mentioned a few times now. He he uh, he had his family had, or his his family had connections with the Richardsons, which was a criminal gang in 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 the sixties, a, a famous criminal gang family, and uh, threatened to take a. You know, I don't think it's called, is it called a bulldozer with those huge swinging balls? He was going to, uh, a, de- a demolition, you know, like. A wrecking he was gonna, ball. It's a wrecking ball. ball. He was yeah. going to, he was going to, what's she called? He was going to take Avril Lavinia, whatever she's called, on the wrecking ball, Christine Aguilera, on the wrecking ball. He was, said he was going to demolish EMI, the actual building, and he, and he could get the, the demolition thing. <laughs> We we uh, we uh, in the foyer, the the grand foyer of EMI. They had uh, a carpet which had uh, not a carpet, a mat which had EMI written on it. A bit, you know, I don't know. It was like like ten foot, twenty foot, big sort of mat in the foyer, and uh, 
and we did steal that. <laughs> but only only after sort of announcing, oh, this is our name and we're here to see. So I don't know why they never got that back, but uh where's the mat now? That could be an artifact of musical I history. Know, yeah, yeah, we yeah. should have kept that. And we should have kept the car because the car we hey, is that around. the one that's in the in the pictures there in, yeah, in the yeah, yeah then, okay okay was, was that, but that was actually uh, you know I, I can't I'm not saying it was like John Lennon's sort of psychedelic Rolls Royce but it was all painted everywhere yes it was it was painted the windows ripped out and yeah yeah and but that that the guy who did the artwork on it was uh, Paul Cannell and he did the he did the artwork for Screamadelica the the album the primal scream album yeah, which is, yeah. and he and he did the early uh, manic street preacher sleeves as well so he, he you know it was um quite the artifact there uh, but I, I don't know what happened to that carpet we sometimes we used to what play happened with, to the car oh yeah the car uh, <laughs> i actually can't remember what happened to that car it was my car as well you, you guys we we could just make a whole movie about you guys a documentary that would like outdo spinal tap yeah um, well the bait it was very the bass player was very spinal tap we had loads of bass players after ronnie who was the original and the best and the best and uh well we like had... well you know chumba wumba you remember those guys oh, yeah. right yeah yeah yes i i i know i've interviewed i i know boff the guitarist i you dunston as well um he did a movie recently that's called i get knocked down that's kind of it's like the other side of Chumbawamba, you know, he did, they did theirs well done now sawed off, which is a great documentary. Right. right. But I'm dying to see the new one. He hasn't got it distributed yet. I'm like, Oh, I got to see this movie because I love these stories. Right. But you're the journalist. So you have all this other experience in there that I know that as soon as I push pause, you and I could talk for hours about, because I know you and I know a lot of the same people out there. Right. We've at least, you know, know a lot of the same musicians. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm like, just going through this list of like, you stuffed Keanu Reeves in a, in the boot of a car. Yeah. Right? He wanted, yeah. Yeah. In, like, in the, talk in that about painting. that. That's Keith Flint level stuff right there, but tell the Keanu Reeves story. It's not, you know, I can't even, in 1991 was Keanu Reeves was, I guess, quite well known. I can't, I don't know what films he would have done in by 91. He had done Private Idaho and Bill and Ted's. All right, so yeah. he was quite a big, big, he was in Soho and uh, we were out with Vogue magazine who were, were supposedly writing about the band and uh I think James just passed him a note saying, if you fancy go to a club later, we're going to this club. This is the best club. And uh, and then he showed up at that club and we got talking to him and. Uh, he said, oh, I, you know, I, I play bass or I'm in a band. Can I come and play? Can I come rehearse and come play with your band? And uh, and that's sort of just as simple as that, how it happened. And. I think we must have had to pick him up at a hotel where he was staying. And I actually think not only was he, I don't think he got in the boot because there was paparazzi. 
I don't know why he got in the boot of the car, but it wasn't like we shut him in the boot like, you know, we were going to kill him or anything because there was, he was with a woman as well who was an actress from, from a soap opera, an Australian soap opera. And uh, so I think they both must have got in the boot because she was there at the rehearsal. So, <laughs> so and then I don't really, rec- I mean, I know that, we quickly arranged for a photographer <laughs> to come to the rehearsal to take photographs. And then that was in the face and also, also smash hits. I guess it must've been news. And, uh, but I don't recall much about it. Martin said, you know, he, he, he was not very good at bass guitar, but I, I was not to be the judge of that really. And, uh, and I think that was it. You know, we just, I don't think he played live with us. Uh, but he did seem to be a fan of the band, you know. And so that that was, it wasn't, uh, you know, so I think what, what's now going to happen is, uh, you know, he's going to get some of these fabulous tracks in his, in one of his big blockbuster movies. Then, then we're all going to retire. Then, 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 then you're then back all... at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're... yeah. Then, then I'm so once that happens, once he's going to put, I don't know, bus stop maybe in one. Well, no, how about the song "Right Out There"? Remember that one? Yeah, right out of here. Yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah. right out of here. So I'm listening to that. Like, okay, that was yeah. that. That was great. That one. Yeah, but which I've now real, which I've now realized is. You know, when subconsciously you must write these songs and you you're just regurgitating sort of what sort of you've listened to in the past right out of here is actually just a very little bit of that Queen song. Bohemian Rhapsody, I think. it is. Well, but you see the, the banter at the very beginning, I thought was hilarious. Like, yeah, I bet you've never heard a band <laughs> sounding so good, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, that's when the yeah, that's when the bottles start coming, you know. When, oh, you start, when you start giving the band, but we used to play gigs that were so great because see, well, the, the whole record was just that. The whole record was um the, there was a level of antagonism when we played live, and you know, we would really wind people up and uh they would want to attack us at times, you know, they were, it could get a little bit uh, hairy, you know, there were violent, <laughs> but there could be violent scenes, but, uh, you know, I think half of the people sort of were like, Oh my God, this is great. And the other half were like, then started to throw the bottles and, uh, you know, they would try and get on stage and attack you actually, which was, uh, so yeah. Yeah. So once Keanu Reeves has got me in the big movie, maybe right out of here, then I'm thinking, you know, I'll come to America and quite like to get a hair metal band as sort of a sort of back backing sort of thing. And uh, maybe we can tour America. Well, you, you with windows on your car even, yeah, you'd have... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a plus. <laughs> so, but you, you, it's like your song, The Great British Show, on there again the, yeah, the whole yeah. record everyone's just going to enjoy this record um yeah the great British that was a shit show. bootleg recording wasn't it oh, it was like somebody God. just well, it was a mistake it that was our you know at some point we at some point we stopped writing songs because peter waterman was going to write all our songs right but i think the great british showbiz show 
was like the last the the last serious one we wrote which was uh uh you know the great british showbiz show i think it was dictated by the tired and old the great british showbiz show something something the status quo and it and that was the one song that our fan number 15 uh paul morley who did uh it was a journalist but he did uh Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so again, Frankie goes to Hollywood. We were in that. We wanted to, in that same vein of sort of. Oh, shock you sounded and, nothing like Frankie. Shock. Okay, I, shock. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but it's sort of outrage. They were. I know we just didn't sound anything like him, unfortunately. But we would that sort of shock appeal. But that song Mo- actually was very Dead Boys ish. I was like, yeah, it's like oh, big Dead Boys there. People, yeah. people mentioned the Dead Boys. Who's seen us live would say, "Oh, that's like the Dead Boys," but I I didn't know anything about the Dead Boys at that point. But people did mention the Dead Boys, yeah, at the time. Um, See, that's but, yeah, really but, funny because I'm like, yeah, I'm a Dead Boys fan. That was what it. That was what I was getting out of. It. Was what, right, you know? right, yeah, yeah. We, I never, I never knew any of those bands. So, oh, jeez, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what they said. Yeah, people did say the Dead Boys. So, uh, your song "Destined to Be Free," the album, the, okay, the cover for that, and then listening to the lyrics was like, "Oh, this is this is in your face," you know. Uh, the cover of all the old women standing there, right, like that, yeah, yeah. was five. pretty funny. But yeah, the uh, the lines, so that actually sounded like very you know, good old Generation X, right? That was like okay, great, great, but but yeah. the lines. Destined to be free, no girls gonna mess with me. Yeah, uh, make you do what I please. Get down on your knees and worship me. I'm like you guys are assholes. I know it's awful, that isn't it? <laughs> it was like so at least we, was like, yeah, it's you, like you, oh my god. You, you um, might as you were you making fun of just rock and roll on on the whole there or what? What was because I was uh, like de- destined to be free, no girls gonna mess with me. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we, I mean, it's, it, I, I was still a teenager and uh, it may have applied to a real life situation. And uh, I don't know what we thought about that. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what, but it was produced by uh, John from, I think the Mekons, uh, a, a sort of post-punk uh-huh okay. uk band and uh all i remember about that is we did have windows in the car but one of the wheels <laughs> fell off on the way to the recording which was up the motorway in leeds so london to leeds is quite a drive and the, one of the wheels one of the wheels fell off so we were lucky to get there alive and then when we finished it all i remember is ronnie saying make him sound like he's in a dustbin and that and that the vocals make him sound like he's in a dustbin. But I don't know about those lyrics. I mean, that was single of the week in the enemy. That was the song that got a lot of attention. But like you say, listening back, it's quite misogynistic. Well, I, I the thing is, like, I, I think that like I was listening to it going, were they doing this just making fun of, of Guns and Roses and shit? Because yeah, that all, was like, the kind all the of Rolling you Stones, yeah. you know, all that ro- yeah. under my thumb, all that business, stupid girl. 
I don't know. I don't. I think we maybe maybe when maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we some of the songs we would make fun. Uh, you know, I, I hope I die when I get old and all my songs are on Capital Gold, which was like you know an oldies radio station. So making fun of the Who, but. I don't know when we when that first song came out. Whether it was uh, could have just been. Maybe we can support Guns and Roses. You know, we could fit right in there with that one. Yeah, Guns and Roses. Yeah, I got my issues with them. So, right. <laughs> um, actually, I I I've I've been reading NME for pretty much my entire life. So uh, I guess I could say of your other work, I'm a fan as well. So, um, but, uh, let's see. So it is rumored that radio had actually opened for you. Uh, let's, let's finish out with that story there. And then I want to know what song you want me to, to finish the interview with. What you want me to play us out with? Um, yeah, I don't think Radiohead were fans of fabulous, but I don't know why, but they just signed to EMI, I think. And they had you know, Martin will be able to tell you better than me, but I think we had like what a PV amp, which was like, I don't know, 50 watts. It was a tiny little thing. We didn't have really good equipment. We couldn't really afford any. They had like what looked like, uh, you know, I don't know how much equipment they had, but they had like a Stonehenge of amplifiers. It was huge back line. And it was only a tiny club in Glasgow. They were supporting us. So Martin said, can we play through your equipment? They said, no, <laughs> no, you can't. It's all brand new and it's all being paid for. And we think you're going to break it. And, uh, and so then Martin told them to take it all down and then put his little PV amp on stage and then made them put all their stuff back up and, uh, I, I was the only person who watched them play. I thought they were all right. I quite liked the guy on guitar who, you know, he had a sort of, his face was like a mathematical equation. You know, his face was, uh, he had a very funny shaped face. And um, I thought they were all right. And, uh, but nobody else watched them. And I don't remember much else. They did support us. Yeah, that's right. And, um, but I do remember that gig was, it was at the Barrow, not the Barrow. At the Barrowlands, yeah. No, yeah. we played the Barrowlands earlier. Okay. And that was when I had Martin, you know, like the faces. I guess the thing we got from the faces was I would have Martin on my shoulders, you know, like stomping around. And uh, and then we played this smaller club straight afterwards, which was when Radio had supported us. But all through the gig. There was a guy. Oh, and the Pastels came to see us. They were fans. They were. Oh, we've got quite a few fans now. You know, we got maybe fifteen or sixteen now. I know. Yeah. So the Pastels were fans. So they came to the gig. But there was a guy down the front shouting, uh, "You're not punk. You're not punk." I mean, this was all through the gig, and eventually I lost my temper, and I uh, had the advantage of being about three foot higher than him, so I booted him right in the face. And sort of his snows just exploded. And then him and his mates tried to get on stage. And uh, there was a fracas. And um, 
you know, but obviously we once you've got on this, you've got the advantage of the stage. But then afterwards he came back and I thought, oh, my God, you know, we were I wasn't particularly a great fighter. And uh, I thought he was going to sort of like really take me to town, you know, this guy. But he came back and his nose was all sort of splattered. And he said, oh, you sorry, I was wrong. You are punk. <laughs> you, know, you, you proved you are punk which was uh, I, I was not happy about that I, that's when I started to think oh god this is like I'm not I'm not having I'm not, I'm not I don't really enjoy this anymore you know I think that was actually the first gig I woke up I mean the first ah uh, 10-15 gigs if that it was sort of like some sort of white mist red mist and I and I, and I, and I was actually sort of in the moment i guess you know whatever the moment was but it was pretty genuine and then i think that i remember booting that kid and then for the first time i actually looked at somebody else in the band or we only had one roadie filthy and i or i maybe caught i made eye contact with filthy and that was the first time i'd been on stage and actually recognize some of the other things rather than it being this sort of red mist and uh and then i think we start to become sort of what we didn't really want to become which was like could you try and play for 30 minutes you know or you've got to play for 30 minutes or you don't get paid so uh yeah radiohead um i think i don't know if that i don't think we were I don't think we influenced them very much. That's I can't. I can't recall. Story. You know, but they they were supporting us. You know, that is were, quite a story. That you is know, I know, story, I know, man. because obviously Radiohead are big in America, right? Because Jeff is obsessed with us. Radiohead supporting us, whereas we don't really. Well, I I went and photographed Tom York when he played a solo gig here as well. Uh, right yeah and he was it was like i mean musically it was phenomenal it was great but he's an odd looking dude you know that he's yeah, just yeah he's odd, odd but the other guy the guitarist guy who i think does soundtracks for films now he's off he's got an odd looking face that was well, what I tom, tom york he he came out and he would like stand in front of me at the show and then he'd get in this weird like oh yeah yeah and i'm like Oh, he's posing. He wants me to get a shot of that. Okay. It's, it's like this weird Iggy Pop contortionist thing. And I'd take a picture of him, you know, yeah, it was just that, bizarre, but the show was fantastic. Right. I don't know. They're not really up my street, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, maybe not enjoy, but, uh, so, uh, but hopes of getting in the new Keanu Reeves record or movie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's, um, that's, that's on the docket here, huh? Where you guys want to, yeah, yeah. I think that's a give a gimme that one. Well, uh, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I so love the record. I would love for this to be that, you know, one of those like lost gems that suddenly sees the light of day. Cause I really had fun with it. So yeah. I hope, I hope my listeners go and get a good spin off of this too. Cause it's definitely, um, get fucked by fabulous. That's what the record get is fucked, called. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. If you can say that. Yeah. Get, that's yeah. difficult to say, get fucked by fabulous. That was the, and the band t-shirt, which is on the cover of the record, which again was designed by Paul Cannell. It had a, a man reclining with a huge erection, which was taken. 
It was from a pack of pornographic playing cards. But instead of using the women, you know, the pornographic women playing cards, we used the men. And um, you still can't show an erect penis in without, I think it's illegal. Oh, the dead Kennedys got sued for that, if you remember. Really? Yeah, dead Kennedys put that on, a, on a, an album poster. Uh, and they got uh, they got shut down for that one. Yeah, Jeff Jeff has put a banana over the uh, a banana over the penis. But uh, I do remember getting those t shirts made with, and me and Paul actually did get stopped by the police in the car, you know. And uh, I don't know how we got away with that. That is so but we, we, we uh, unfortunately we got stopped and we had to show what's in these black plastic bags and it was pornographic t-shirts you know so, <laughs> but after often time like the venue wouldn't let us sell them anyway i don't you know it was uh seemed crazy to us oh here in I the states like seemed... you could do that all day all day long here oh, no right. yeah they, they'd let you sell the t-shirts there right, um, yeah but no, I, I remember when uh, you two did the Octung Baby record, and there was a picture of Adam there, you know, and they, they put a big X over Adam's gear on the album cover. All right. Okay. But then over in the UK, the, the vinyl print did not have the X over Adam's gear. So I thought that was funny that, you know, you could do that in the UK, but not here. But now it's like, you know, so um i love the record everybody go get fucked by fabulous it's a terrific album it's a gem that uh maybe you could get some i, I don't know maybe you go out and do a tour and do some good recordings because those are some bad bootlegs for a couple of the songs but i it's just it has such a great feel to it one that i just i played it and i said i remember so many things never listened to this before but it takes me back to a very specific fun time in my life what song do you want me to play us out with by the way you you can play it whatever song you want jeremy you know okay well because i'm i'm opening up with personality recession so so you you pick the closing song here and i'll get us done with that uh, you, I, I mean, bus stop. We've talked about. Okay, then I'll play us <laughs> out with bus stop. So, all right. Well, thank you, Simon, for showing yes. up. Uh, Martin's, I guess, in Berlin, so we don't get his uh, his appearance. No, but, no. Unfortunately, uh, Martin's in Berlin. Yeah. But yeah. I've had some wonderful stories today. I I hope that you're writing a book about all of this to to rival <laughs> the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays. Um, so everybody, Simon Spence from Fabulous and the the long 30 years overdue release of the album is coming out. So everybody go look it up. Give it a spin. Take care. Be good to each other and let music do awesome in your lives. And thank you so much, Simon, for the stories. Everybody, just so you know, Simon and I hit pause and we talked about the oi punk rock movement for probably another 45 minutes. Um, anyway, special thanks to Barry Andrews of Shrekback for letting us use the title and theme of Stinky Jazz. And special thanks to Simon and Fabulous for just the sheer example of uh, how foolish rock and roll can be.
Let's rock this out with Bust Up, everybody. Have a good week.